MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, May 15th, 2020. Today, Judge Sullivan appoints an amicus curiae to the Flynn case. Trump loses his bid to toss out an emoluments case. Potential cases in the Flynn unmasking right-wing conspiracy. Richard Burr steps down as chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee amidst an FBI investigation into alleged insider trading. Dr. Bright testifies before Congress. The Wisconsin Supreme Court overturns the governor's stay-at-home orders. Judge Jackson orders Trump and the Office of Management and Budget to hand over Ukraine scandal emails previously blocked, all in a New York Times FOIA case. And a key former FBI official casts doubt on the Justice Department's case for dropping the charges against Michael Flynn. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, I'm flying solo today. First of all, I wanted to say thank you so much to all the feedback uh, we received about yesterday's episode. We had a, an epic interview with uh, Frank Figlusi uh, about the unmasking scandal. Uh, and I recorded the, the B block on my own and I was pretty angry. But it seems as though uh, the combination of angry AG and good news uh, and quarantine confession AG and Jordan is the perfect combination. A lot of people say that uh, have, have told me that my interpretation of the news um, uh, was emotional for them. And so I just wanted to uh, thank you for listening and tell you that I appreciate your feedback and your support and that despite me seeming angry, um, and maybe angry is a strong word, passionate about what I'm talking about the news that we're discussing. Um, I very much love doing what I'm doing and, and bringing these stories to you in a way that I think is manageable and straightforward. And so I just wanted to say the mountains of feedback that we got on yesterday's show was just very, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm humbled and I have a lot of gratitude uh, for everyone's comments. Um, so thank you for that. Also, today's happy hour. It's going to be today, Friday, unless you're uh, a patron and you're getting this Thursday night. If you are a patron of the show, you get these shows ad-free and you get them the night before they go public. If you want to become a patron, uh, you can join our happy hour uh, cocktail Q&A themed quarantine meet and greet extravaganza. Um, that is the official name. It happens every weekend, usually on a Friday, sometimes on a Saturday, depending on who's doing what. And this week, it does fall on a Friday. Uh, patrons are invited for the first hour. Then we put the link out to the public for the second hour because we know not everybody can afford to be a premium subscriber. But it's, it's, it's as little as three bucks a month. And so with that, you get these episodes ad free, you get them early, you get my newsletter, you get my research notes, all my articles cited during the entire week of news including uh, Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans, plus our newsletter, which has funny infographics and memes and uh, all sorts of information on upcoming events, our P.O. box, just frequently asked questions, all sorts of things. And then we also have a ton of really interesting thank you gifts 
um, for for being a premium member. It starts as little as three bucks a month, and your support helps us uh, continue to to provide healthcare uh, coverage for our staff and four hundred one ks. And it's um, really, really, really helpful during this time. But again, if you can't, we totally understand. We we tweet we'll tweet this link out for today's happy hour. It's at four p.m. Pacific time. To d- the theme is the eighties this week. Uh, so dress up as the 80s, anything 80s. And uh, we will, like I said, if you can't swing it, we'll be tweeting that link out to the public for the second half, the second hour, which starts at 5 Pacific time. So look for that uh, and join us. It's a lot of fun. We've had Weedis join us. We've had musical interludes and uh, a pizza party and a pajama party. Like it's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, and we really enjoy uh, putting those out. So again, 4 p.m. Pacific Friday, um, May 15th, 80s themed. And uh, we look forward to it. So without further ado, uh, you heard, you could tell from the intro, today is an absolutely bananas news day. And we have a lot to cover. And first, in the A block here, we're going to have Jordan go over Dr. Bright, that's the whistleblower from Department of Health and Human Services Director of BARDA, his testimony to Congress today. And and she'll have all that information for you. And then, of course, later on in the show, uh, we'll be joined by Amanda Reeder this, uh, on this particular show to, to go over the good news block and our quarantine confession. So it's going to be a great show. And we're interviewing former federal prosecutor, law professor, and candidate for district attorney in Westchester County, New York, Mimi Roca. And her and I are going to discuss, um, well, I'll just let you listen to the interview. It's, it's, um, it's not something that you want to miss because it, there's just so much going on right now, but it has to do with judge Sullivan's new order. Um, in his, uh, he, he ordered, I'll just tell you, he ordered a judge, retired judge, John Gleason to be an amicus curie. Remember I, I translated his minute order from yesterday, um, saying, you know, what he meant. And basically he made a call for amicus curie briefs saying, Hey, I need I need these, or I'm requesting them. Uh, but it's not a free for all, like Judge Jackson said. It's not a free for all, so don't be an asshole. I have sole discretion, which is sort of code for Bill Barr. You can't stop me. And uh, Judge Gleason filed. Uh, he will he put out an order for Judge Gleason to be Amicus Curie. And just last minute breaking, which I didn't get to speak to Mimi Roca earlier about. He also which we put beans on and which I was hoping for, has made Covington Burling an amicus curiae. And so they will be providing an amicus brief to the court in the Flynn case. Those are Flynn's original OG lawyers, the ones who, you know, set up the guilty plea and that, you know, uh, <laughs> were they were his reasonable lawyers before Sidney Powell came along. So you'll want to be here for that interview with Mimi Roca. But for right now, let's get into the news. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Jordan for the uh, testimony of Dr. Bright. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. That's Corin Beans. Take out the teen, put in a bean. Jordan's Corn Beans, not corn and beans, which is what uh, a lot of people thought I've been saying this whole time. I couldn't possibly think, oh, maybe corn. No, I was going to say maybe you thought corn was like a like a really insensitive truncated version of coronavirus i just call it corn now (laughs) corn and beans um it is corn beans 
And I'll probably just stop saying it after this because who needs to think I'm talking about corn and beans when really I'm talking about uh, very serious things. I guess that goes for everything on this podcast. But um, I'm coming to you from my living room today of my new apartment, which is very exciting. Thank you, everybody, for the good wishes you sent on my move. Uh, Everything went very smoothly, and I'm all settled here, and I like the new space a lot, so thank you for reaching out and being concerned. I appreciate you guys. Uh, Today, I'm going to be covering Rick Bright's testimony to Congress. So Rick Bright, he was the guy that got ousted from the Health and Human Services Department. He was Deputy Assistant Secretary, and essentially what he wound up doing was filing a a whistleblower complaint against HHS and he's trying to stop the transfer his transfer to NIH uh, and he's trying to get his old job back he spoke out and pretty was was pretty obviously let go from his position because of speaking out he was speaking out against the administration's pushing of a drug uh, that didn't have really any sort of scientific backing at that point in time, and that was the hydrochloroquine. So when he spoke to Congress today, he was asked a lot of questions, obviously, about the timeline of the administration's response, certain decisions that were made, uh, his his opinion on, you know, sort of where we're at, where we need to be, what's it going to look like in the future, and it was long and really illuminating, And I want to open with the clip of his opening statement because it's like a lot of these opening statements really powerful. So let's hear that. Today, the world is confronting a public health emergency unlike any we've seen in over a century. We are facing a highly transmissible and deadly virus, which not only claims lives, but also disrupts the very foundations of our society. The American healthcare system is being taxed to the limit. Our economy is spiraling downward, and our population is being paralyzed by fear, stemming from a lack of a coordinated response and a dearth of accurate, clear communication about the path forward. Americans yearn to get back to work, to open their businesses, and to provide for their families. I get that. However, what we do must be done carefully and with guidance from the best scientific minds. Our window of opportunity is closing. If we fail to improve our response now based on science, I fear the pandemic will get worse and be prolonged. There will be likely a resurgence of COVID-19 this fall. It will be greatly compounded by the challenges of seasonal influenza. Without better planning, 2020 could be the darkest winter in modern history. First and foremost, we need to be truthful with the American people. Americans deserve the truth. The truth must be based on science. We have the world's greatest scientist. Let us lead. Let us speak without fear of retribution. We must listen. Each of us can and must do our part now. On Tuesday, Dr. Fauci delivered a message in a voice that is clear and trustworthy as he encouraged us to act with caution as we return to our daily lives. We should listen to him and other scientists sharing their expertise. While waiting for a cure and a vaccine, which I believe will come, there are things we must do immediately. We must increase the public education about the basics, washing hands, social distancing, appropriate face covering. They're simple but critical steps to buy valuable time until there's vaccine. 
We need to ramp up production of essential equipment and supplies, including raw materials and critical components. Shortages of these increase the risk of our frontline healthcare workers, and they deserve the best equipment to protect themselves. We need to facilitate equitable distribution of essential equipment and supplies. And finally, we need a national testing strategy. The virus is here. It's everywhere. We need to be able to find it, isolate it, and stop it. We need to have the right testing for everyone who needs it. We need to be able to trace contacts, isolate, quarantine, and appropriately while striving to develop a cure. Initially, our nation was not as prepared as we should have been, as we could have been. Some scientists raised early warning signals that were overlooked, and pages from our pandemic playbook were ignored by some in leadership. There will be plenty of time to look back to assess what has happened so we can improve. But right now, we need to focus on getting things right going forward. We need a comprehensive plan that everyone knows and everyone participates in. Congress has taken important steps to support the response, and there's much more we can do. With your help, we can get through this crisis. Working cooperatively, cooperatively with our global partners, we can and will succeed in finding a cure for COVID-19. But that success depends on what we do today. We will either be remembered for what we did or for what we failed to do to address this crisis. I call on all of us to act, to ensure the health, safety, and prosperity of all Americans. You can count on me to do my part. Thank you. So incredibly powerful. A lot of the stuff that he said today um, was incredibly powerful. He went on to answer a bunch of questions, say a lot more really revelatory and important things. Um, he said that the hope that a vaccine is going to be ready, even between the 12 to 18 months time range, is one that only exists pretty much if everything goes perfectly, he said. If everything goes perfectly, then that's when that 12 to 18 month timeline really becomes a reality. And he goes on to say, we've never seen anything. We've never seen everything go perfectly. Um, so this, in combination with Trump going out there and saying that he thinks we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year, that seems to go against, you know, every model of vaccine development we've heard referenced and heard talked about. I myself am not an expert on vaccine development. I have no idea. All I know is that what the facts that I have been hearing from scientists and doctors is that 12 to 18 month time frame for anything to happen sooner than that. Uh, you know, we hear increasing amounts of commentary saying that that it starts to increase the risk on the vaccine not being as effective as it needs to be uh, or efficient or just it winds up being it could wind up being worse if they roll out a vaccine preemptively that hasn't gone through all of the correct amount of levels of quality assurance, basically. Um, Bright also talks about how he he warned the Trump administration about the shortages of PPE, and he pretty directly faults Trump and the people around him for minimizing the outbreak early on and how that contributed to that limited amount of PPE supplies. And he said that he thinks that that happened possibly with deadly consequences. So I'm going to roll this clip for you guys talking about that. I believe with proper leadership and collaboration across government, with the best science 
leading the way, we can devise a comprehensive strategy. The time is running out because the virus is still spreading everywhere. People are getting restless to leave their homes. When you look at the first four months of this year, would you describe the uh, government's uh, and the administration's response as a success or a failure? I believe we could have done better. I believe there are critical steps that we did not take in time. And then around a similar topic, just talking about, uh, he was he was basically asked like, you know, when did you realize that things had things had like really gone wrong? And he was asked to sort of describe what that revelation was like. And he said something that you may have seen in headlines already because he curses anytime a politician uh drops a shit bomb while they're testifying to congress that's a pretty big deal it's usually a chamber that's held to decorum standards like no other so for for him to use that word was very intentional to convey the amount of uh yeah shit shit stormery that was brewing around them very quickly and I'm going to roll that clip for you guys because I think it's going to prove to be pretty historical looking back on all of this. I am sure there are specific conversations, emails, moments in time that you remember like they happened yesterday. The inflection points where if the response to your warnings have been heated, things might have been different. And I'm sure they haunt you and keep you up at night. From January of this year, tell me about just one specific moment when you had that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach because you were not seeing the response that you knew needed to happen. Congressman, I'll never forget the emails I received from, from Mike Bowen and indicating that we are, we are, our mask supply, or N95 respirator supply was, was completely decimated. And he said, we're in deep shit. The world is, and we need to act. And I pushed that forward to the highest levels I could in HHS and got no response. From that moment, I knew that we were going to have a crisis for our healthcare workers because we were not taking action. We were already behind the ball. That was our last window of opportunity to turn on that production to save the lives of those healthcare workers. And we didn't act. At some point during the testimony, he wound up talking about the process of procuring the supplies for him from other countries and he pointed something out that I had actually seen pointed out by a friend who works in the medical industry and she sent me a video basically the point is the way that they were forced to procure supplies from other countries made it so that they were receiving these pieces of equipment that didn't go through the same sort of or didn't just have the same manufacturing standards basically so they were starting to get he he said I'll just read this direct quote. Uh, not only that, we were forced to procure the supplies from other countries without the right quality standards. So even our doctors and nurses in the hospitals today are wearing N95 marked masks from other countries that are not providing the sufficient protection that a U.S. standard N95 N95 mask would provide them. And the example that I saw of this was my friend had like, yeah, sent a video of her boss making a video taking a mask out of the box that had come from China and she puts it on and then she does the test where you know you like try to blow a lighter out with the with the mask and the mask from China she could easily blow it out 
and then she puts the mask on from the U.S. It, it's like the exact same product, looks the exact same, just one's made in China and one's made in the U.S., and she couldn't blow the light out. And so she was basically telling all of her employees, make sure if you're going to procure these things or, or just, you know, you wind up with one that was manufactured in another country or just just check anyway, honestly, but especially when they have, they were forced to go to those other, other countries like Bright was talking about. That's, that's scary. Um, in this video, she like doubles up on the masks, but to make the ones that are less effective, more effective. But even then it's like the whole point of this is that we have a shortage. So then what are you going to start like buying double of everything to make it effective? I don't know. Maybe that's something they should have done if that was like the only option. But the point that he is making is the level of unpreparedness that went with all of these first steps happened you know first the level was unacceptable is the argument that he's making and it happened too late one of the things that alex azar came out with against bright's testimony today because him and trump in tandem basically just like shot on everything um but he alex was saying alex Nothing more disrespectful than a first-name basis of a high-level official. Alex was telling me. He was saying that everything Dr. Bright's, you know, bitching about, basically, is stuff that was already, you know, it's it's long gone, it's already resolved, it's like old stuff, essentially, is what he said. And it's it's not. It's not old stuff if we still have people in hospitals right now using the only gear that they could have, you know, procured. That's ineffective. That's just one small example, but it's such a bad argument that he's making. But here's his quote. Um, He says, everything he's complaining about was achieved. Everything he talked about was done. Every single thing. He told that to reporters on the White House South Lawn. Um, Trump had said that he watched some of Bright's testimony and he said he looks like an angry, disgruntled employee who, frankly, according to some people, didn't do a very good job. That's what he always fucking says. He always says, according to some people, like, know your fucking staff, dude. I don't know. Or maybe don't admit to everybody that you don't know them. I feel like I would just as a citizen moving forward, any future presidents out there, if you're going to pick people to, like, run the fucking country with you, if you don't really know them or know if they're qualified or what they're like in their jobs, I don't want to know. Don't tell me that. I'm just going to keep... I'm just going to believe that there's more quality control coming from the top down on that one, first off. Second off, obviously, this is an entirely different story. Dr. Bright got fired or moved because he spoke out against something that Trump wanted to push. That happens over and over and over again. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. All of the facts show if you speak out against him, your likelihood... The fucking speaking out against Trump is like the comorbidity of the illness that is serving under this president. If you do that shit, you're done. That's just how it works. You can look at it with Fauci. Fauci walks on eggshells constantly. Is the only thing that you can do. So when he, Bright, didn't do that, he got ousted. That's no coincidence. Like, please, please try to, you know, have any of the people in your life that maybe are saying that's like a ridiculous conspiracy theory or something. Please, like, give me, 
give me any other reason, you know? You can't. So, their response is predictable to what he said, but it doesn't change the power of what he told Congress today. Um, there's so much content in there. I tried to give you all some clips. If you want to look at more, it, there's really good coverage all over from all these different news agencies, you know, taking different clips and everything and making it a more digest, making it more digestible for you. But check it out. If not, this can f for now suffice. For now suffice. That sounds like something Trump would peddle to the people without it being tested. For now suffice. Take it. For now. <laughs> okay, everybody. Um, I hope everyone's doing okay, uh, as always. And we're always here if you want to reach out. I've been having a really good time interacting with some of you through DMs and stuff. I'm Again, I try really hard to get back to everybody. Um, I promise eventually I will get back to you. So hit me up at Jordan's Confused on Twitter if you want to chat. Or at Daily Beans Pod or at Malershiro. AG's right there and she also likes um, responding to fans. Listeners, I should say. Fans is presumptuous. Other than that, have a good day and take care of yourselves. Bye, everybody. All right, Jordan. Thanks for that update. Uh, we will be right back after this with more headlines. Stick with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. Being stuck at home these days, you probably don't think much about internet privacy because you're on your own home network and what's safer than that? Just fire up in incognito mode and no one can see what you're doing, right? Wrong. Uh, even in incognito mode, your online activity can still be traced. Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. And if you're down and understand what happened in the Senate today uh, with that vote for internet privacy, that is why, now more than ever, you need to get ExpressVPN. Uh, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure your internet service provider can't see the sites that you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users. That means everything you do is anonymized and it cannot be traced back to you. ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data with the best in-class encryption, so your information is always protected. Use the internet with confidence from your computer, tablet, smartphone, any device ExpressVPN has you covered. Simply tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. It's rated number one by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless others. So protect your online activity today with the VPN I trust to secure my privacy online. Visit my special link at expressvpn.com slash dailybeans and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash dailybeans. Expressvpn.com slash dailybeans to learn more. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is a toss-up between uh, happy AG and angry AG today. We'll see which one develops as I read what I've already written for myself. Uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court has overturned that state's stay-at-home order issued by Governor Tony Evers, calling it unlawful and unenforceable in a high-profile win for Republicans who I guess wants everyone to die. Uh, this was a four to three decision along party lines or along, I guess, ideological lines. Uh, it was Wednesday, and it says the governor overstepped his authority when the State Department of Health Services extended the stay-at-home order through May 26th. The ruling comes after legislature's Republican leaders filed a lawsuit last month arguing the order would cost Wisconsin residents their jobs 
and hurt many companies, asserting that if it was left in place, our state would be in shambles, they said. Uh, And of course, it's the stay-at-home order, not the virus, that is the the cause of, of the state being in shambles. The suit was filed specifically against the State Department of Health Services Secretary designee Andrea Palm and other health officials who made the decision in mid-April to extend the state's safer-at-home emergency order. Not stay-at-home, safer-at-home. At the same time as the extension, the state loosened some restrictions on certain businesses, including golf courses, public libraries, and arts and crafts stores. But the justices wrote in their decision Wednesday that an agency cannot confer itself the power to dictate the lives of law-abiding individuals as comprehensively as the order does without reaching beyond the executive branch's authority. In a statement released separately Wednesday night, Governor Evener, Governor, excuse me, Governor Evers, <laughs> Governor Evers encouraged people in his state to continue to stay safer at home practice social distancing and limit travel because, he says, because folks, deadly viruses don't wait around for politicians and bureaucrats to settle their differences or promulgate rules. And he's very correct on that. So much for states' rights, right? It's only when it benefits the Republicans do they argue for it. And the actual CDC guidelines to reopen the country have been released. These are the ones that were shelved. We've, we've reported on this. Uh, Trump put out a 17-page thing. CDC actually had 60 pages. April 30th, they said, this will never see the light of day. And they put it in a, I don't know, wherever they put shit they never want to see again. Uh, And the actual CDC guidelines are far more detailed than Trump's plan. However, they are still really watered down as I read them. And this is as compared with normal things from the CDC. Normal guidelines from the CDC are much more straightforward. Uh, Maddow covered this extensively. Uh, on on the Rachel Maddow show, asking, she asked CDC, are you okay? Because their reports after investigating outbreaks in meat meat packing plants became, as she said, mealy-mouthed. She looked at a report from April 20th, which was like the OG CDC. They were like, you must do this. You have to put hand sanitizing sanitations at the doors. Uh, employees will socially distance. You must distance from each other. You must wear face masks. Employees will stagger breaks. You will do this. You will do that. This should happen. This should happen. But on April 22nd, two days later, in a report after an investigation for an outbreak in another meatpacking plant, the report was wimpy. It was... It was The recommendations were, hey, if you feel like it, you should wear masks if it's feasible as long as, you know, these aren't, they even go as far as in their report to say, these aren't required. These are guidelines. We just consider them. We'd appreciate it. If you you could, if you you wanted, you could put hand sanitizing stations at the entrances. Uh, Maybe you could take temperatures if you, you know, if it's feasible, if it's feasible. And, and Matta was like, what happened in those two days to the CDC to make them such wimps? What, what happened to change their language? And now looking, I, I remember her reporting on this very well. And now I'm looking at the CDC guidelines to reopen the country, the ones that were actually, you know, quashed by the Trump administration. And they're the same kind of quote-unquote mealy-mouthed language, soft recommendations, if it's feasible type language, the whitewashed shit that came in the April 22nd meatpacking investigation outbreak CDC report. 
So the language isn't normal. Um, it's a lot of soft language. It's a clear departure from how CDC usually talks. Well, again, these CDC reopening guidelines are, are the same way as that meatpacking one. And I think it's of the utmost importance that we find out who at the CDC is taking a pen to the language, not just in these guidelines to reopen, but in CDC outbreak investigation reports as well, like the ones in the meatpacking plants brought to our attention by Matto. So who at CDC is whitewashing these reports? Was it done at the behest of the president? When was it done? When did it start? Was it done under a direct order from the president or out of fear of retribution from him? Or maybe a direct order from a czar or somebody at Health and Human Services or somebody, you know, Dr. Redfield? And why? When? Why? Who? What? Where? How did this happen? This is Sharpie Gate all over again, but with words. And he's endangering our lives. I mean, Sharpiegate also did, but I don't know. I spoke about this yesterday. Um, I'm staying home. I think we all should. Unfortunately, many of us have jobs that you can't stay at home from. We need, but th- and that is why we need mortgage relief and rent relief. Why we need a universal basic income until this is over. The Republicans have abandoned the middle class. They to go back to work and die or stay at home and starve. Wreck your credit, ruin your future. That's your choice. It's not a choice. Also, it's a little bit better news here. We'll pivot out of this. Amy Berman, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, is back in the news. She has ordered the White House to turn over those 20 emails from the Ukraine scandal that Trump blocked. These are directly relating to President Donald Trump's decision to withhold congressionally appropriated military aid from Ukraine. The appropriated military aid that the GAO determined was illegal to withhold it violated the uh, uh, Compound Control, Impoundment Control Act, excuse me. Uh, the administration has refused to produce those communications thus far, as we reported way back in January, January 3rd, I think. Trump claims the documents are protected from public release because of da, 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 white privilege. I mean, executive privilege. And this all comes from a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit filed by The New York Times, which sought those communications between Michael Duffy, Principal Associate Director for National Security Programs at the OMB, and Robert Blair, a senior advisor to then-acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. And that's the crux of the communication, right? Everyone was saying, did Trump himself order this hold on Ukraine aid? And that set of emails is where everybody thinks the answer probably is, because that's the connection. Trump to Mulvaney to Blair, and then Blair over to the Office of Management and Budget, who, who we have seen the email where, where they were told to put that aid on hold. But they couldn't link Trump to it directly. But in a response to a court order to produce the requested records, Trump withheld 20 documents contending they were covered by presidential communications privilege and were therefore exempted from public disclosure laws. The Times challenged the exempt classification of the documents, claiming the government failed to provide any evidence that the information in the emails fell within the privilege which requires, quote, an actual advisory relationship between the president and the staffer as to the specific document. So without knowing what's in the emails, it doesn't, you, you know, you can, you can contest 
the characterization that they are covered by presidential communication privilege. And that's what the New York Times is doing. They say, we don't believe you. We don't believe your ass. So Judge Jackson decided instead of relying on the government's assertion of the privilege, she needed to review the documents herself in her chambers, ordering the government to deliver them within one week. Her order reads, quote, in order to assist the court in making responsible de novo determinations in this case, including any determination for purposes of the presidential communications privilege concerning the nature and extent of the relationship between any particular communication and presidential decision making and for purposes of the deliberative process privilege, whether a particular communication is both pre-decisional and deliberative, the defendant, Office of Management and Budget, is directed to deliver copies of the documents that have been withheld pursuant to Exemption 5 to chambers for in-camera inspection on or before May 20th, 2020. Now, if you remember, these emails were between Duffy and Blair. Duffy was installed as taking over uh, this job for his subordinate, Mark Sandy, who was a lifer, not a, not a political appointee. Mark Sandy did testify during the impeachment. And the emails we have seen, as I said, indicate the emails between Duffy and Blair, uh, you know, Mulvaney's chief of staff, would indicate if it was Trump that ordered the hold on the aid to Ukraine. And even though the Dems called for Mulvaney, Duffy and Blair to testify, none of them showed up under orders from the president. Well, now Judge Jackson is going to review these emails and see if they fall under executive privilege or presidential communications privilege. And as we know, there's something called the crime fraud exception which says you can't invoke privilege, attorney-client privilege, presidential communicate, any kind of privilege, if it covers up a crime. The crime here would be ordering the Office of Management and Budget to withhold aid to Ukraine, violating the Impoundment Control Act, which the GAO found he already, or whoever ordered it, violated. If they can tie Trump to it, that's not covered by privilege. And it's Judge Amy Berman Jackson that's going to make that determination. It's a lot like Reggie Walton not trusting the redactions Barr made to the Mueller report, so he ordered them to hand that shit over by March 30th so he could review the redactions for appropriateness. The DOJ complied with his order. They handed it over on March 30th, and he's reviewing that report, unredacted Mueller report, and he's got a hearing scheduled for June 18th. I assume, since the DOJ complied with that order from Walton, that the OMB will likely comply with this order from Judge Jackson. So put some beans on it. I think the OMB will hand these emails over by May 20th. Unless the Department of Justice tries to file, I don't know, some way to stop it. It's a court order. And Senator Richard Burr is stepping down as Senate Intel Chair amidst the FBI investigation into insider trading. Yay! But not so fast. We learned yesterday the FBI confiscated his phone under a search warrant pursuant to him selling off a shitload of stock after receiving a confidential coronavirus briefing from the intelligence community in January. And it wasn't just him. His brother, his brother-in-law, sold a bunch of shit, too. Burr says he's not going to resign from the Senate. And he's totally innocent. But he's stepped down as the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee because of the possible conflict of interest. Or it would be a distraction or something. So as we know, Burr has angered Trump allies and Trump. He was involved in helping issue the subpoena for Don Jr. back in the day. Uh, he's the one who has been releasing all these reports 
backing up the intelligence community assessment of 2017 in January, saying Russia helped Trump win the presidency and interfered in our elections. And when Manu Raju asked if uh, this was if he thought he was being retaliated against, if this investigation was retaliation for his work on the Intel Committee, he would not comment. We should watch who he's replaced with as head of the intelligence community or committee. It could be Tom Cotton. He's on the Intel Committee. He's a Trump lackey. But you don't even have to be on the Intel Committee to be put in there. As we know, Jim Jordan made that shuffle back during the impeachment. Could be Marsha Blackburn. Could be Cornyn. He, he is on the Intelligence Committee. Could be Ted Cruz. Could be Crapo. Crapo? I call him Crapo. And what will become of the Sissy's report that is due out? That's the Senate uh, committee, the Intel Committee's report that is due out on Russian counterintelligence. We've been waiting on this. It's a 950-page report. It was in the editing stages. It was done. Is that going to come out? Or is that going to end up in purgatory? I don't know. I don't know if I'm on board yet with the concept that this is targeted. A lot of people are saying, well, Kelly Loeffler hasn't been, you know... They haven't executed a search warrant on her because she's a Trump ally. They're only going after Burr because he's the one who could release this report. Uh, Loeffler has refused to say whether the FBI has contacted her. So we don't know. Uh, Diane Feinstein says she was contacted by the FBI. So it seems they're all being investigated. And it wasn't until we learned that Burr's brother-in-law also sold stock before the crash. Uh, I don't think Trump I don't think any of us thinks Burr isn't a criminal. Um, it's just unfortunate that Trump hires only criminals. So we can expose them if they go against him. That is why Trump hires criminals. It's very mobby. And from Josh Gerstein at Politico, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals is allowing an emoluments case against Trump to go forward. The Richmond-based Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals voted 9-6 to six to reject Trump's bid to shut down the lawsuit the governments of Maryland and the District of Columbia have brought, alleging violations of the Constitution and Monuments Clauses. I assume Trump will ask for a stay to uh, block discovery in this case while he appeals to the Supreme Court again. I mean, at what point, as a Trump supporter, do you have to look yourself in the mirror? Or don't, if you, if you can't. At what point do you say to yourself, look at this multitude of shit that Trump tries to block and say to yourself, maybe he's the asshole. Maybe he's the asshole. It's a fucking cult, y'all. How many times do you have to get punched before you're realizing you're getting your ass kicked? I wish I could help. You know, I'm trying. How many how many Supreme Court cases are there? How many appeals? How many stays? How many times is he blocking testimony, documents? Uh, releases of anything, as tax returns, finances, House Ways and Means Committee tax returns, Mueller report, Mueller grand jury materials. <laughs> it's clearly because he's innocent that he's blocking all these things. And from the New York Times, former FBI official Bill Priestap is casting doubt on the Justice Department's case for dropping a criminal charge against President Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, during an interview with investigators last week. And this is according to people familiar with the investigation. And this is a bombshell, and it's flown under the radar. I'm not sure why. 
But the Department of Justice interviewed Priestap two days before filing their bullshit motion to dismiss the Flynn charge, and they did not mention it, and they did not tell Sullivan about Mr. Priestap's interview a couple of days before their motion was filed. A Justice Department official said that they were in the we were in the process of writing up a report on the interview. We would have we would have filed it. We would have we just wanted to get that motion to dismiss in there first before we gave you that little piece of Brady information. Brady information being exculpatory information. Of course, he is the accused, so I don't know if that counts uh, as exculpatory information, but it's certainly less than honest. Yeah, everyone we talked to that said that uh, our, our, you know, our assertions were bullshit, we'll write that report up later. But for now, everyone who agrees with us, here's what they say. And please dismiss. The department's motion referred to the notes that Mr. Priestap wrote around the Bureau's 2017 questioning of Mr. Flynn. Flynn's new insane lawyers said Mr. Priestap's notes suggested that the FBI was trying to entrap Mr. Flynn and frame him and that Bill Barr said the investigators were trying to lay a perjury trap. It's like when I go to the go to the grocery store. I mean, shoplifting trap. Love that joke. Who was that? Scott. Anyway, somebody on Twitter said that. It wasn't me. Mr. Priestap told the prosecutors uh, reviewing the case that their interpretation was wrong. Their interpretation of his notes was wrong. He said, this is from the interview two days before they filed the motion to dismiss. He said the FBI officials were trying to do the right thing in questioning Mr. Flynn, and they knew of no effort to set him up. Media reports about his notes misconstrued them, according to Priestap. This is a, a lot like Mary McCord coming forward with her op-ed in the New York Times saying the Department of Justice mischaracterized her notes about the Flynn interviews back in 2017. And if you think the Department of Justice conveniently leaving out the Priestap interview from a couple of days ago isn't going to piss off Judge Sullivan, you are sadly mistaken. Flynn's crackpot lawyer keeps saying there was Brady information, exculpatory information that Mueller's team failed to hand over because they're all corrupt and it's a deep state and blah, blah, blah. Playing, trying to play on Sullivan's long record of he's really all about Brady information and getting exculpatory information forward. And here we have the Department of Justice leaving out information that goes totally against their argument that Flynn's lies were immaterial, which is the crux of why they want this to be dismissed. So watch for Sullivan to be really pissed about this. And as we know, Bill Barr tasked the top federal prosecutor in St. Louis, Jeff Jensen, earlier this year to scrub the Flynn case for any mistakes. And Mr. Priestap's notes were among the documents Mr. Jensen found. The prosecutor's already on the case. Uh, Mr. Jensen's team and the FBI all disagreed about whether they were exculpatory and should be given to Mr. Flynn's lawyer, Sidney Powell. Mr. Jensen prevailed and gave them to Ms. Powell, uh, who declared they, were, they would exonerate her client. People familiar with the events uh, are, are, who have told the New York Times this. So Barr decided... Priestap's notes from 2017 were exculpatory for Flynn, but left out Mr. Priestap's recent interview. Got it. Uh, Mr. Jensen and officials in Tim Shea's office pushed to give Mr. Flynn's lawyers copies of the 2017 notes and other documents they had recently found. And Mr. Van Grack and Dana Bente, the FBI general counsel, argued against it. So watch for Bente and Van Grack to possibly be called into court to answer questions about this and definitely expect Sidney Powell and Tim Shea to be called to the carpet to ask why they left out Priestap's recent interview in their motion to dismiss. And in other Flynn news, uh, we have uh, another amicus curiae uh, ordered today. Uh, I think I brought this up at the top of the show, and that's Covington Burling. So next, I think it's going to be Van Grack. 
maybe Dana Bente. Uh, it could be asking for the, all the underlying evidence, as Judge Gleason has said in an op-ed. And I'm going to talk about that with, uh, in the interview with Mimi Roca next. So everybody stick around. You don't want to miss this interview. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Beachbody On Demand. We are all stuck at home, and it's easy to become mm, sedentary. I've been eating a lot of carbs, planted on the couch, but I need to keep moving. And nothing makes that easier than Beachbody On Demand. You can work out and take classes in the comfort of your own home. Uh, and it's the Beachbody On Demand, easy-to-use streaming service. It gives you instant access to over 1,300 super effective, fun, easy workouts. Some of them are really hard, but, you know, the time goes by pretty quick. And they're suited for anybody at any time. The wide range of stuff they have is incredible. It's the best streaming workout platform. They're the ones behind P90X and Insanity. Uh, you can check out some of their newest programs like Morning Meltdown 100 and 80 Day Obsession. I start mine now. I do, I'm do. i doing 80 Day Obsession. I absolutely love it. Uh, with Beachbody On Demand, you'll get motivated by super trainers, celebrity super trainers. They have access and you have access to hundreds of effective workouts. And every fitness level is covered. And it's all different kinds. Weight training, cardio, yoga, mindfulness. Uh, meditation, dance workouts, uh, exercise on your schedule with workouts as short as 10 minutes that don't require any extra equipment. And you can do that in the time it would take you to drive and park at the gym, which you can't do anyway. So check it out. Access it anywhere, anytime on your computer, tablet, smartphone, any device. It's the best deal in fitness. And listeners of The Daily Beans can try it absolutely free. I really want you to check out Beachbody. So right now our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text Daily Beans, all one word, to 303030. You will get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, all the nutrition information, all the support, totally free. Again, just text Daily Beans, all one word, to 303030. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, joining me today is former federal prosecutor from the Southern District of New York, law professor, MSNBC legal analyst, and candidate for district attorney for Westchester County in New York, Mimi Roca. Mimi, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks, AG. It's so good to be back with you. It's been a long time. We've we had a little bit of a, a I guess a hiatus doing all you know all this stuff that we're trying to accomplish right now. But I'm really really glad to speak to you again. And I'm glad to be here. There's certainly uh, a, a lot to discuss right now <laughs> on the legal front. <laughs> ah, yes. And I want to just give you a heads up. Our listeners are pretty well caught up on what's going on with Flynn all the way up to the minute order asking for Amicus Curie. Um, but I wanted to speak with you today about. First of all, here's a brief timeline with this minute order. So the Department of Justice, we know, filed a weak sauce motion to dismiss the case against, the case against Flynn. Uh, and then May 11th, retired Judge John Gleason, I believe is uh, John, penned an op-ed. He penned an op-ed in the Washington Post saying evidentiary hearings and amicus curiae were needed in this case since neither side was opposing the motion to dismiss. Like, it's now it's, it's Barr versus Flynn and their friends, you know. Um, but then Judge Sullivan issued a minute order asking for amicus briefs. And then yesterday he issued an order that Judge Gleason, retired Judge Gleason, would be assisting the court uh, under amicus curiae, meaning he's got, um, you know, things that he can, information he can provide the court that the party's representatives aren't providing. Uh, and and he want, he's going to assist in weighing the motion for the depart from the Department of Justice. So, First of all, I, I put out a tweet there and you had, you had responded and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Has any Have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever seen anything like this? <laughs> yeah, no. And uh, I, I, I jumped right in there because to me, the, the answer seemed so um, kind of obvious, but also important, which is no, I have not. I can't. I mean, 
doesn't mean it's never, ever happened. But in, in my experience, 16 years as a federal prosecutor um, and, and a watcher, you know, for the past couple of years very closely, you know, it, it is unusual to see a judge in a criminal proceeding invite amicus briefs um, and, and even more unusual, I think, to sort of say um, that they're appointing one, one person in particular to do that. But we've never seen anything like what has happened here with Bill Barr and the Department of Justice dismissing a perfectly legitimate and even important criminal prosecution after the person has pled guilty twice. So, um, you know, it is it is the answer is haven't really seen anything like this, but have never seen anything like this attorney general. And I think what the judge is doing is recognizing that the interests of the Department of Justice as an independent institution with apolitical um, uh, motivations is not being represented by Bill Barr. And, and so, you know, you, you bring in uh, people for, you invite amicus briefs, you, you, you allow amicus briefs when friends of the court to rep when, when all the interests are not being represented. And, and, you know, I, I know that the Trumpians will disagree with this, but, any objective observer who's watched Barr over the past couple of years cannot say that he is representing the interests of the Department of Justice. He is representing the interests of Donald Trump. Um, and, and that is not what his job is supposed to be. And I think this is the first time this is, you know, where someone in power, namely a judge, has said, you know what, there, there's something I can do about that. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're exactly right. An unprecedented motion to dismiss calls for an unprecedented reaction. <laughs> um, right. And so. And and just I mean, I guess I would say one other thing. While I think what the judge has done here is highly unusual, it it's it's there are similar um, procedures in other cases that are analogous. So it's not like he just made this up. I mean, but we have amicus briefs in, as you know, well, in, you know, Supreme Court cases dealing with all sorts of issues. I mean, it, 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 it's not foreign to, uh, it's not unusual to have these kinds of briefs uh, filed. It's just somewhat unusual in individual criminal cases, but not but but not where there are bigger legal mm -hmm. principles at stake, which I think is really what's going on here. This isn't just about Flynn anymore. It's about the principle of an independent Department of Justice making lawless decisions. Yeah. And the beauty of it is we have seen, like you said, in the past few years, we've seen uh, the Department of Justice under Bill Barr weigh in with amicus briefs in Supreme Court cases on multiple occasions. And so it's not an argument. It's it's nothing that Bill Barr can stop. And, and we'll get into that in a in a second. But I wanted you to tell us who is Judge Gleason, because I, I feel like our listeners um, have a little bit of an indication. They know some of the cases he's prosecuted, some of the people he's brought down uh, in his, in his, or, you know, presided over, I shouldn't say brought down, in his years as a, as a judge. Who, can you just who give us a picture of who he is? Yes. Yeah, so Judge Gleason um, was a federal judge uh, for many years. I actually uh, clerked for him, meaning I was his, one of his law clerks back in 1997, right when I was fresh out of law school. Um, and he had been on the bench, I think for a 
two years or so. So he was a very young judge. He was a judge in Brooklyn, um, United States Eastern District Court for the Eastern District of New York. Um, He had been a federal prosecutor for many years before that in the Eastern District um, U.S. Attorney's Office and, um, you know, did, did kind of cases federal prosecutors like like him, like me, you know, do. Um, but his sort of claim to fame, I think that the thing that he's most well known for is that he successfully prosecuted John Gotti Sr., um, who was known as the Teflon Don because, you know, he so many times had been prosecuted and was not convicted. But then uh, Judge Gleason, in a very well-tried case, uh, was able to successfully prosecute him and and end that uh, one man crime spree uh, with the Gambino family, um, and so um, he after that um, I think he was acting U.S. attorney for a little bit of time, but then he was appointed, um, I believe, by President Clinton to be a federal judge. He was uh, pretty young for his uh, you know to to be appointed a federal judge. And I will tell you, though, um, both from my experience, you know, clerking with him for a year, which means I was with him every single day, every minute of the day, you know, in court, outside of court, eating lunch with him, talking with him. And he has remained a friend uh, and a mentor um, to this day. Um, He is one of the most brilliant people, not just lawyers, but, but also a brilliant lawyer that I know. I mean, truly has a brilliant mind. is um, really not sort of a cookie cutter uh, person. In other words, it's hard to fit him into one mold or another. So he was a prosecutor for many years, um, I think came to the bench with that experience, but pretty quickly as a federal judge became very defense oriented and actually became very involved with um, the criminal defense organizations, federal defenders in particular, and really kind of before criminal justice reform was a sort of popular thing or even a term that people, you know, talked about um, in, in the way that they do now. He he was really at the forefront of that and, and um, really tried to uh, help reform sentencing, federal sentencing guidelines, which he thought were too high. He really was a judge who, you know, looked out for um, sort of the the most vulnerable people in the criminal justice system, and and tried to uh, work on early reforms. Um, uh, to you know, thought our drugs laws and sentences were were too harsh and too high at the federal level, amongst others. Mm. So he's kind of a, a a really independent thinker. He doesn't fit neatly in sort of one box or the other. I think he really knows the Department of Justice inside and out, and knows what it is supposed to be at its best. Um, but also knows the dangers of it and and the overreach and and how that can work and has not been afraid to stand up to that even in the in the past as as uh, a judge and and now he, he's a practicing um, I would call him sort of a, a white collar criminal defense lawyer at, at a law firm in New York he did step down um, from the brunch recently um, but he's he's a well known voice in terms of. Um, you know, speaking out for what he believes. Um, when he was a judge, he did several uh, political uh, redistricting cases that that made a lot of headlines. Um, he's just a, a very kind of um, um, smart and and independent thinker who does what he, I think he thinks is right, whatever box it fits into or doesn't fit into. And so I think that's part of why he's the perfect choice for this. 
Yeah, it seems like his experience uh, advocating for the everyman um, it seems to be relevant. And in his op-ed, in Gleason's op-ed that came out before uh, uh, Sullivan asked him to to join the case, he was urging Sullivan, it seemed, to to, you know, really think twice about just dismissing this case and talked about having evidentiary hearings, perhaps listening, questioning, calling into question, you know, bringing in the guys from Covington Burling, which is Flynn's original lawyers, possibly bringing in former prosecutors who worked on the case who have since left, like Kravis, I would assume. Um, So it, or was it Van it was Kravis. Was it Van Van Grack? It was Van Grack. Van Grack, yeah. Um, but who? But he still works for uh, Department of Justice, as far as I know. Van Grack does, right? Uh, so it, I think, and and this is what I I was personally hoping for when when Flynn filed his motion to dismiss. We were all sitting around, you know, me and Glenn Kirshner, and we, we were just sitting around saying, "Gosh, I hope he has evidentiary hearings. I hope he just doesn't dismiss this case." And so now I think we're we kind of see what where Gleason stands, what his background is in. I think we can sort of see where this is going. And it, it's is it fair to say that the Justice Department and Trump can't do anything about this? This isn't something they can ask for a stay for or oppose or file a I mean they can file a, a a motion to I guess disagree with it yeah and and I think um if I'm keeping up on this fast moving news I I think that he has I think Flynn has um filed something saying basically you can't do this uh you can't you can't invite um amicus briefs in um a criminal case um, you know, that's, that's not going to go very far. Well, no. And it, it, it explains why Sullivan put in his minute order. I was like, why is he putting ca- citing case law about amicus curiae yeah. in his minute order? Oh, it's because he knows, you know, he's saying, Hey, I have sole discretion mofos. And so come at me. Uh, it's not a free for all though. Qu- quoting judge, J- judge Jackson. I'm like, what is he getting at? What is he getting at? Now we know. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. No, he's he's. I mean, this judge, Judge Sullivan, is, is is very smart and very independent himself. You know, and uh, and which is you know not unusual. I mean, most federal judges, a lot of them are, and they don't like being told what they can and can't do. They have a lot of discretion for a reason in how to run their cases in their courtroom. And I think here, um, you know, I, I don't. I mean, I know Fox News is going to be screaming about how the judge should be shouldn't do this, but I, I don't know what basis they have to say that. Um, and if you look at the history of, of federal judges having discretion in sentencing, in motion practice, I mean, this, that's their job. Um, and of course, he shouldn't just, you know, rubber stamp this. So I hope he calls Rod Rosenstein, frankly. I mean, yes, yeah, so you could call some other people, but, you know, Rose, I mean, Rosenstein was the member of this administration that signed off on this prosecution. I know he wasn't there at the beginning, but he absolutely approved it. And he's completely silent now, you know, as as they say that this was all a big political, you know, conspiracy by, quote, the Obama administration. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting, too, because by now, normally we would have heard Trump tweeting, uh, oh, a uh, biased Obama judge, uh, blah, blah, blah. But here, uh, Judge Sullivan was appointed by H.W. And and so... Uh, yes, yes, exactly. 
And so, but I don't know that that necessarily has stopped Trump from going after people before and calling them biased. So I'm assuming that we're going to start getting some misinformation and propaganda about Gleason and Sullivan being biased judges and and bad judges. I'm assuming we'll start seeing that sort of (laughs) thing come to light. I'm surprised it hasn't already happened. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, tell us before I let you go, tell us a little bit about your campaign, where people can find you, where people can donate to you. I don't work for the government anymore, so I don't have to go by the Hatch <laughs> Act. I can ask for donations for your campaign. Woo-hoo. Um, thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So I'm running for Westchester District Attorney. Westchester is uh, right outside of New York City. Um, so, you know, an uh, important and big uh, district attorney's office that has cases that can affect, uh, you know, even far beyond uh, um, Westchester County. Um, and, um, my campaign is going really well. I'm running on a platform of, uh, bringing ethics reform and integrity, uh, to the DA's office, something that I think your listeners will appreciate wherever they are. And, um, you know, really the need for building institutions at the local level, um, that are counterweights uh, to what's going on in Washington and to the Trump administration and particularly when it comes to the criminal justice system, keeping the politics out of our justice system. That's something I'm, I've really been talking about and that people really respond to and also pursuing public corruption cases, um, conviction integrity, making sure that we are not prosecuting the wrong people and that we are having uh, not having wrongful convictions. And I have platforms about that, about human trafficking, that's a big priority for me, gun safety, and all this people can find on my website, you know, all of my issue papers, I'm kind of listed out, it's Mimi Roca, R-O-C-A-H, 4, F-O-R-D-A.com, Mimi Roca, 4, D-A.com, and, um, you know, hopefully people can look me up, and um, happy to have people help make uh, do phone banking. We can do that anywhere in the country and make donations um, and get on our mailing list. We do weekly updates where I interview people uh, on Zoom about important issues. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, a, a summary, but I hope people check it out. Thank you. Thank you so much, because these, these are the steps. These are the crucial steps that we're going to need to start taking to rebuild uh, integrity in in our institution, equal justice under the law, ethical guidelines, giving some teeth to these things, and and moving forward to to put back what Trump has taken away um, in, in in being able to trust our our legal system. So thank you so much for joining me today. You have your list of of, of credits is too long, but law professor, MSNBC legal analyst, former uh, prosecutor from Southern District of New York and a candidate for Westchester DA. Thank you so much, Mimi Roca. I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks. Great to talk to you, AD. All right, everybody, stick around. Right after this quick break, we're going to have the good news block and quarantine confessions. You don't want to miss it, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This segment of The Daily Beans is brought to you by TheZebra.com. In these crazy quarantine times, we're all trying to save money and we're all driving a lot less, but Americans are still overpaying on car insurance by about $21 billion per year. That's bananas. Uh, Oftentimes, searching for a better deal can take hours and usually results in having to deal with pressury sales weirdos and a barrage of unwanted spam calls, but not anymore, thanks to TheZebra.com. They make comparing prices and rates safer and easier, and you can save up to $670 a year using TheZebra.com. Uh, It's the nation's leading car insurance comparison site. It's the only place you can compare quotes side by side from over 100 providers and choose the best one for you. And it only takes about 90 seconds or less. 
Tezebra.com is unbiased, independent service that allows you to compare rates from hundreds of providers, including all the top companies, all in one place. And they will never sell your information to the spammer, so you don't get any junk mail or spam calls. Just answer a few questions on a simple, fast form, and they find the best rates and coverage in your state. And TechCrunch calls the Zebra Kayak for auto insurance. And Time says the Zebra is your best bet to compare car insurance rates across companies. Not everyone who uses Zebra finds a lower rate, but those who do save on average $368 per year. And the best part is it's completely free. There's no spam. There's no risk. Uh, I know we could all use the extra cash right now. We're all driving a lot less, so we should reassess our car insurance anyway. So why not check out thezebra.com? How much can you save on car and home, insur- home insurance? Go today and start saving at thezebra.com slash dailybeans. That's thezebra.com slash dailybeans. Spelled T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody. Happy Friday. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And joining me today for the good news segment is your friend and mine, Mandy Reedy. Hello. How are you, Mandy Mung? Mandy Mung Bean. Good. <laughs> it's so funny how many people uh, still call me Mandy Reedy. <laughs> DMs people are like, hey, Mandy Reedy. I get, I get it, too. I know. Everyone's like, hey, say hi to Mandy Reedy for me. I'm like, yeah, ha, 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 because I messed it up one time. Now you uh, have to suffer forever. <laughs> and then one of our listeners, 11-year-olds, mm-hmm. did a little piece of digital art for us where it's our real heads photoshopped on different kinds of beans, and I'm a garbanzo, <laughs> and... And you're Mandy Mung. Oh, God. Mung Bean. That's so funny. It's really funny. I feel like if I was like a children's show host in some sort of beans-themed kid show, I don't know why my brain went in that direction. Then I, my name would be Mandy Mung. Um, it is really because you kind of look like a t- you kind of look like a little Teletubby with your yes. head stuck on this big round green bean. You look like mm-hmm. that green. Tell it, you know those guys. It's not a quarantine confession, but just a general confession that I watched Teletubbies until I was too old to be watching Teletubbies. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, but yes, okay. The, the bean picture is very funny. I know, it was really good. <laughs> um, I do have, uh, let's see, I do have, before we get going, I yeah. do have a little bit of schadenfreude. Sweet. Schadenfreude! All right, so on Tuesday, Trump appointed Iowa, a Trump-appointed Iowa federal judge threatened to dismiss uh, Devin Nunes' defamation lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> against Hearst Magazines, the publisher of Esquire, and journalist Ryan Lizza. Trump appointed U.S. Uh, District Judge C.J. Williams, uh, and he said that he'll throw out the lawsuit if the family doesn't specifically Woo! and precisely say how Lizza's <laughs> article in Esquire Magazine inaccurately portrayed the congressman and his family. <laughs> the lawsuit... The lawsuit involves a September 30th Esquire article called Devin Nunez's Family Farm is Hiding a Politically Explosive Secret. And the article said Nunez's parents and their brother covered their tracks after quietly moving the family's dairy farm from California to Iowa. Shh, we don't want you to know we're not California farmers. Suggesting the family had tried to hide the farm's relocation. Uh, The article also alleged that the farm had used undocumented laborers. Collectively, the Nunez family filed two lawsuits. Um... 25 million and 77 million and they were combined into one lawsuit at, at the end of April uh, but while the Nunez family suit cited 16 statements that it alleged were defamatory they didn't provide any facts or evidence and in order for something to be defamatory it has to be a lie <laughs> 
love that the judge was like, where's the lie, bro? <laughs> you need to prove this is a lie. You who all moved your farm from, <laughs> from California to Iowa and didn't tell anybody <laughs> and hired undocumented workers. <laughs> oh, God. The gall of these motherfuckers. <laughs> oh. Oh. So anyway, that's just brought me a little bit of joy. I thought I'd share that with uh, all y'all because I feel like it might have moved you as well. <laughs> You know what brought me joy today was um, because I know I should admit this because I work on the show. I listen to the show most of the time, but not every day. And some days I miss it. Mm -hmm. But today when I was listening, uh, I listened to your full rant on Thursday's Beans and then the interview with Frank. And I was like, yes, yes. I'm so mad. I'm right there with you. You know, I was like, what? Which uh, one? Your uh, yesterday when you were when when you had like a really good rant, and then also you had the interview with Frank. It was like prime angry ag, and I was like, yes, (laughs) sitting in my office listening to it, being like, yes, yes, bitch, yes. (laughs) That is so interesting. You brought that up because at the beginning of the show uh, today, I mentioned in the discussion area of the show that I got such a huge response from mm-hmm. my, some people said rant, I call it a B block mm-hmm. uh, yesterday <laughs> uh, as saying, God, I love angry AG or passionate AG or whatever yeah. AG. And then followed up by the Frank Fagluzzi, feisty Fagluzzi mm-hmm. and then bring it home with the good news. It was mm-hmm. like the perfect combo. Good. And you know, I don't think it's fair to call your passioned monologues angry because I don't think it's good to equate women's passion with anger. So maybe not angry. That's probably but my fault. Passionate. I think I was the one who said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said it too. That was a really great interview with Frank, though. We got a lot of really, really great feedback on that. So, um, so yeah, thank you everyone for tweeting at us, and thanks Frank for coming on. It was, it was a, it was a really great interview. Yeah, and wait until you hear today's Mandy. We got Mimi Roca on today to Ooh. talk about Judge Gleason uh, being brought onto the Flynn case and who he is and, and what he's done in the past. So we're looking forward to that. But, Sweet. Um, but we are here to talk about good news. We are. And I have some. What do you got? Um, I have a couple of things. I just wanted to say thanks to everyone for sending them in. If yours doesn't get featured, please don't try to take it too personally. Um, we're trying to like keep them timely, but also get as many good ones in as we can. And I think I have 60. Uh, so <laughs> um, that being said, uh, let's jump in. This one is from, and I hope I'm saying your name right, Franzi. Uh, Franzi says, I went to Starbucks this morning for only the third time since March 15th. That is, uh, that's, that's very strict of you. Well done. I splurged and got a latte and several baked goods. When I got to the window, the car in front of me had paid for my order. Aw, that's nice. I like when they do that. I know, me too. But during this time, it really just hit me in the feels. Luckily, by the time my order was ready, another order was taken and I paid for them. I hope it continued for the rest of the day. That's nice. Pay it forward. What a cool thing. Because you're, you're going through, you're getting coffee and you're giving them money, right? Mm-hmm. But you're also... At the same time, paying it forward. I think that that's just absolutely wonderful. Only one person gets stiffed at the end of the day. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Although imagine if uh, the person in front of you is like, yeah, I'll pay for your order. You're like, that's nice. I'll pay it forward. But the person behind you gets like a $50 order and you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Um, I'll pay for one of those. I'll pay for one of their coffees. Yeah. Um, All right. This one's from Diane. Diane says, good news. Your quarantine confessions the other day on the episode Shit Show Lullaby had me laughing so hard Red Bull came spewing out of my nose and all over my computer when Jordan mentioned how funny it looks when dudes cover up their junk. (laughs) Oh, my God. The visual. (laughs) (laughs) Some guy was was out 
the, the, he missed the recycling truck. And so his wife was like, honey, the recycling. And he's naked and he jumps up and he grabs a tiny towel that has dog bones on it and covers his dick. And he's outside trying to drag the drag the can down the street after the after the truck and he's <laughs> trying to cover up his junk and it was just a really one uh, of the best visuals we've had that's really good um i i have to admit that i've gone down and checked the mail in like in like a state like i heard i hear the mailman dropping off a package and i go downstairs and like what can barely be classified as shorts to be honest and just, you know, like no bra, like tits flying everywhere as I run down the stairs. My neighbors are like, who is this bitch? Put on a robe or something. Um, but I don't care. <laughs> so anyway. Nor should you. They have they have loud children, so you can have floppy tits. <laughs> True. True. I'm going to let my floppy tits fly free. God damn it. <laughs> I moved to this country for it's freedom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just be like, I'm an expat. I've earned it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, this country doesn't have a lot of things, but I can be free to... Anyway, moving on. Miss Frisk. This is from Miss Frisk. Thank you, Diane, for that one, by the way. And and uh, th- that was great. I hope your computer is okay. <laughs> uh, from Miss Frisk. I have been suffering from gallstones. Ouch. Uh, just like our friend, the notorious RBG. But for the last... Uh, oh, for the last two months. Uh, today, I got the notice that a scheduled operation is happening. Soon, the bladder will be Ugh. long gone. Hooray. Ooh. Yeah, it's tough to get elective surgeries right now, but that's a painful one. So Ow, I'm, I'm really glad that that's I'm really glad that's taken that that's going to happen. I've never had a gallstone before, but it sounds shite. So I'm happy for you. <laughs> Um, all right, cool. From Zira, my husband has a small uh, guitar pedal business. I've always been on his case about how long it takes him to get orders shipped out, but since I've been at home these past few weeks, I've started helping him out in the workshop. He's taught me how to solder, and I am now building pedals with him, and damn, it's not easy. Now that I have a better understanding of his world... Um, now I have a better understanding of his world, and I wouldn't have had this opportunity to get to know my husband more if it wasn't for Washington State's stay-at-home order. So although these times are incredibly stressful for all of us, I actually am thankful for this time at home. Plus, now we get to listen to the Daily Beans together every day as we work. Thank you, ladies, for helping us through this. That's nice. Awesome. Rad. Let us know if you're on Twitter or uh, send us an email. Let us know what your what your husband's guitar pedal business is. That's cool. All right. Uh, one last bit of good news, but I kind of think this is also a quarantine confession a little bit, but I'll let you guys decide. This is from Natalie. She says, uh, we purchased an older home a few years ago and are slowly but surely working on updates around the house. I love that. I know. That sounds like such a fun project, you know, just like buying something with good bones and then just like chipping away at it to make it your own and like bring it back to life. I love old houses. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very East Coast like that. Um, all right. Uh, the next big ticket project in the house will be to replace the siding on an old addition, which contains my office where I've been working uh, for a year now. The current siding is some old wood panel with lots of holes and opportunity for non-human habitation, which has been annoying to us, but not right now. As I'm sitting at my computer day in, day out during lockdown, the constant tweeting of a family of birds that is nesting inches away from me in that wall is keeping my spirits up. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like the sound of happy baby birds to keep you going. So I'm glad that you've made peace with the birds who live in your wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, better better than not. (laughs) Better than not. This reminds us when our editor, Mackenzie, uh, found a kitten living inside of her wall and she adopted it, actually. I wonder how that kitten's doing. We need to check up on that cat. Oh, the cat is great. They're best friends, dude. She like, they, she, 
Josephine goes everywhere with her, like on a little leash and everything. She goes to the beach. She goes on road trips. She's like a dog, basically, but in a cat's body. <laughs> yeah, they are best friends. So so I'll have to tweet a picture of Mackenzie's cat to the Daily Beans pod Twitter. But she found it in her wall and live texted us as it was happening. Um, that, was, <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> All right. That has been good news. It's now time for Quarantine Confessions. Alrighty, to kick off the confessions here, this is from Anonymous. Uh, Anonymous says, uh, I'm one of six sisters, no brothers, one bathroom. Yes, it was crazy. Oh my God, I feel you. I have many sisters also and had the same experience. (laughs) Um, Recently, one of them moved into a newly built home after retiring um, from one of the intelligence agencies with her husband, a West Point graduate and Vietnam veteran with COPD. So my husband and I, along with two other sisters, technically violated Virginia's stay-at-home order and traveled down to North Carolina And in about 36 hours, we unpacked every box for them, arranged their furniture, organized their drawers and closets, painted a chair and table, hung pictures, and and set up two TVs. We also broke down the boxes and under the cover of darkness, tossed them into a dumpster of a nearby construction site. I feel equally guilty and proud. My sister would have taken months to get settled in and would have gone completely bonkers with the amount of chaos, but we wanted to help her out to be more comfortable during lockdown. We slipped back into town with only one gas stop. We have all been quarantined before and after this and hope to have a closed loop in order to protect a vulnerable. Um, whatever the penance is, I will do it. That's 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 really nice. I'm that's That sounds like something that y- you did to help out your sister who otherwise would have had like a miserable time being stuck in a chaotic house during lockdown. So, Agreed, agreed. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, this is from Metal Girl in North Carolina. <laughs> Uh, good news. I've been working home from home since March 13th. Uh, I have not used a hairdryer since March 9th. Uh, same. I also have not painted my toenails since taking off the polish a few weeks into lockdown. My main confession is I am secretly trying to turn my whole family into vegetarians and vegans without getting permission from my family since I'm the only one who goes to the grocery <laughs> store. So far, all is going well. <laughs> good. Good job. We're getting a lot of confessions from people who are like, I'm the only one who goes to the grocery store, so I just lie. <laughs> um... All right, cool. This one's from Melissa. Melissa says, my parents and I were supposed to be on a Mexican beach vacation in the middle of May. Uh, the trip was postponed for obvious reasons. What? What obvious reasons? <laughs> so instead of getting slathered in sunshine and suntan lotion, my dad decided that we, my parents and I, by the way, I'm staying with them, should travel the world through various movies. So far, we have been to Paris, Bruges, Vienna, Budapest, Greece, Tuscany, England, Rome, and then back to Tuscany. This week we plan to go. Isn't that Whoa. so cute? This week we plan to go to Africa through three movies: The English Patient, Casablanca, and Out of Africa. Ah, oh, The English Patient. Mm. I haven't seen that. I remember when that w- won the Academy Award. I think it beat The Color Purple, and everyone freaked out. I'm going to check on that. Oh, Academy Awards. Go ahead on to the next one while I look this fact up. All right, cool. Um, All right, this one's from Anonymous, and they say, In the confession segment the other day, we heard about a family who plays fetch with their toddler. 
<laughs> we don't play fetch, but we did recently buy a laser pointer for our two foster kittens, which we took on at the beginning of quarantine. And our five-year-old human child has been demanding that he get a turn to chase the red dot. <laughs> he also climbs the shorter cat tree when we aren't looking. And he once ate a kibble before we could stop him and declared it delicious. This is a kid who refuses most people food unless it's chicken nuggets or fish sticks. We're pretty sure he's actually part cat. <laughs> What's the verdict on the English patient? Uh, I was wrong. Uh, the English patient came out after. Who won Best Picture in 1995? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm such a 1985. <laughs> no, cool. I'm such a trivia person. I'm like, what was it? Ooh, we should totally have a trivia-themed happy hour sometime, or we should host a trivia thing in the future. That sounds fun. Ooh, I like that. That's a really mm-hmm. good idea. Yeah. Political, obviously, and maybe some Gen X movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was Amadeus. I, I guess it was Amadeus. Oh, I haven't seen that either. I need like to watch so many movies. All right. This is, we have a couple more here. This is from Danielle. Danielle says, the confessions, I feel them so much, but I think I'm the opposite of the non-playing mommy listeners. I actually really lose myself in kid play. We have the best fantasy play. The other day, my two babies, they're age 10 and 6, set up pop-up shops in the driveway with convenience items and snacks. (laughs) The currency was spearmint leaves that we had growing in the garden, which they just ate one handed to them, or rocks for the larger bills, like $5 or $10. And while I'm outside working most days, I play along, and I was able to buy some refreshing water, soda, and snacks right in my driveway from this shop of course all this play means i'm lax on meal times and clothing choices like pajamas are outside pajamas outside are okay now and the meals have sort of become healthy free-range snack items they can get themselves so traditional breakfast lunch and dinner has basically gone out the window and at the end of the day when my youngest says things like i didn't have lunch i have to explain that altogether the food he ate during the day made up lunch but still those words i didn't get lunch are a reminder that i'm not really in a routine that i've been desperately trying to attain (laughs) i'm jealous of all you organized parents out there who when stress hits they get shit done while i'm over here spinning my tires because gestures the world anyways thank you ladies for your tireless work on getting us our beans it's so helpful when i can't or refuse to chase down real news because it's exhausting (laughs) our news is real (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is real this is real news <laughs> i'm a real news person oh, i'm real real it's real news <laughs> I'm a grown-up news lady come on man i put on Grown a up. i didn't put on a suit i'm wearing jammies <laughs> <laughs> i actually washed my face today put on deodorant and a bra because i was just i looked in the mirror this morning every couple of days i get sick of myself and i'm like get it together put on some clothes and then i wear clothes for a day or two and then i go back to wearing pajamas <laughs> yeah i went for a run i went for a run this morning because i was like i got up and i'm like you gotta you gotta fucking run today you have to you have to and then maybe i'll take a shower mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes but i i want to stop drying yeah. my hair too i have that kind of hair that's really like sort of thin and and uh, so it only takes like two minutes to dry so mm-hmm. just out of convenience so i don't walk around with a wet head i i just dry it real fast because it takes so but i'm like i bet I, I bet i could get it real healthy if i just stop blow drying it i don't have to make any appearances anywhere except for our Friday quarantine happy hour meet and greet at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Woo! Which is today if you're listening on Friday morning. And yes, it's at 4 p.m. today if you're listening on Friday the 15th. And the theme is 1980s. And if you're not a patron, uh, you can become one 
And if you can't afford it, uh, find us on Twitter and we will share the link with you. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. It's super fun every week. People seem to get a lot out of them. So um, yeah, thank you guys for joining us for them. Yeah. And we're doing a thing from now on. We're making it so the first hour is for patrons only. But for for those of us who can't afford to be premium subscribers, even at three bucks a month, which is totally understandable. There's, there's a lot of shitty times right now. A lot of terrible things going on. We we will tweet out for the second hour of the, of the meet and greet mm-hmm. to the public so that mm-hmm. everyone can join in. And that would be at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Sweet. Love that. Um, also, I'm doing something similar to you where I'm just like letting my hair go crazy. It's like I'm in desperate need of a cut in color. It's so wild. But I'm basically just like deep conditioning it and letting it air dry until this is <laughs> until salons are open. And I don't know. We'll see if I can last that long. But I'm just experimenting with getting it really healthy because no one has to look at it. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of what I'm saying. Like, uh, I might as well yep. not blow dry this shit if, if... it's bad when right. I don't blow dry it. Totally. It's not even like a cool, like super curly mess it's just dumb it's just uh, it's, you know like if i don't blow dry my hair it's just sort of half curly half flat frizzy uh, weird like i get these weird cowlicks and i it's just it's it's it brings me back to what it was like in seventh grade you know <laughs> Uh, I actually like had really healthy hair when I was younger and now it's fried to shit. So can't relate. <laughs> it's a, uh, my hair is awful now and was cute then. Um, okay. Shall we do, let's do one more, one more quarantine confession. Uh, you're going to like this one. It's to do with one of our advertisers. Clearly we pick good advertisers. <laughs> uh, an- anonymous says, uh, my husband and I are both healthcare workers. I'm a critical care pharmacist and he is a retail pharmacist. Uh, thank you guys for working on the front lines. So thankfully, we are both still working. But between working and managing home life with our two teenage sons, the dog and the cat, I'm feeling more stress than ever these days. So here is my confession. I am on level 914 of best fiends. Oh, my God. <laughs> awesome. Wow. I'm on like 170 or something. Yeah. I shudder to think of how much time I've spent on that, but my sanity is intact as far as I can tell, so that's good, right? Thank you for making me laugh while I walk the dog. You ladies are fabulous, and I love you. Mm. <laughs> 914, holy shit. You know what? That's me with Animal Crossing, so. <laughs> same, same though. Mm. Totally. I have so many little projects that I need to get done. You know, we may just have to have, maybe you and Joelle need to put out a bonus episode for patrons where you just talk about Animal Crossing. That might be fun. I thought, I've thought about that. That that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. Talk about your villagers, who who you like and who you don't like and, you know, your you, all of your favorite things about the game. Um, we've actually had a few people, a few patrons who've been like, I got the game because of you. So, um and people who've shared a few of their favorite games with me that I'm going to check out. So thank you for doing that. Mm. Um, and thank you guys for submitting all of your quarantine confessions. Keep submitting them. Um, I they, It's the pinned tweet on the Daily Beans Pod Twitter. And I'm also updating all of our instant replies um, on, on the Muller She Wrote Facebook, the Daily Beans Facebook, and the emails and stuff so that you should get, if you ever email us trying to submit good news, you should get a reply with a link to that form. Um, just to keep it streamlined. I'm trying to uh, put it all in one place because put it in your faces. Yeah, exactly. It's oh, it's we have gotten such an overwhelming response for quarantine confessions. It just started out as this little fun cup. We got a couple of things at the end of the good news block and it's its own 
monster now. And I absolutely love it. It's my favorite monster. Absolutely. And honestly, we're getting probably like 70% confessions and only 30% good news. So I would also, (laughs) which, you know, stands to reason given the current times we're in. Um, But I would really love also uh, if people would send in good news that's related to political stuff. If you think that there's any good news stories where you are that you think we've missed, or if there's anything, um, it doesn't have to be related to you know, coronavirus specifically, just anything you think that is good news. Um, I'd love more of that as well. And yeah, if you are looking for the submission form for the good news and uh, the um, confessions and you can't find it, just let us know and we'll send it to you. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts before we before we uh, bail? Oh, uh, just if I uh, if you are a patron or or even if you're not a patron and you want to catch the second half, um, I look forward to seeing those of you who are available at 4 p.m. today for our happy hour. I'm excited. I'm so excited. Yay. I, I had we've had like uh, some of our patrons say that they cast us up to their big screen TVs and it's like we're all hanging out in the in the room. What am I going to do for 1980s theme? Hmm. You could dress as a t- baby because that's what you were. No, you were born in the 90s. <laughs> I was conceived in the 80s. Um, yeah, I was born. I was <laughs> dressed as a sperm. <laughs> I always say that. Well, because I was born in January of 1990. Um, so just at the start of the 90s. But so, you know, I was I was cooking. I was in the oven during the 80s. I experienced it on the inside. And also, nothing is stopping you from dressing from the 1880s. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. You know what? That's well. You just threw in a whole other angle to this now. <laughs> you could do 1780s. I'm gonna have to consider that. You could do 2180, dress in a Star Trek uniform. It's just the 80s. I could try to find like a farmer farmer dress and put my dog in a cow costume and be like a a, a farmer from the 1880s. I don't know. We'll figure it out. You could, or you could be Victorian, wear a powdered wig. I could play some I be- could. Beethoven in the background. I I I might put on a. Maybe I'll go for maybe I'll go for like a for like an '80s club kid vibe. I'll see what I can rustle up in my Burning Man oh, costume. Yeah, trunk. it's a little different. It's a little, <laughs> the '90s club kid stuff is a little different from the '80s club kid stuff. Punk is always good. Is punk's always a good way to go. That is true. Maybe I'll yeah. Maybe I can just go really like gothy. That's close. Here's what I say. You have because okay. you have the colorful hair. You take and make little buns like little tiny buns all the way down the middle of your head like a mohawk oh that's intense i'll I'll give it a go i'll give it a go i'll see what i can do there because it's easier than putting product in your hair to make a mohawk just make little buns little space buns but in a in a mohawk shape i wish i still had my crimper i do not but i wish i did ah i do i have a (gasps) crimper um but amazing it's here amazing And a deep waiver. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what I will share, though, to the Daily Beans Twitter or uh, maybe to our Instagram page? Um, there's a picture of me when I'm, I think, in the first grade. And my aunt did my hair. But I'm from rural Nova Scotia. So even though it was the mid-90s, it looked like the mid-80s. And she teased the shit out of my hair for my school picture. Um, so that's going to be yes. my present to the patrons tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, that's very kind of you. Oh, you're so welcome. Kind. Yeah, it's a it's the worst picture of me ever taken. Um, so I I would like you all to enjoy it. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, everybody, I look forward to the cocktail hour. Thank you for being patrons. If you can't, thank you for listening. Just subscribe. That's free to do. We appreciate mm-hmm. you so much. I'm so humbled. So everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the beans. 
The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.